Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. We're glad you've joined us to listen to a message from our pastor, Ashley Ellison. We believe God's Word is powerful and that it can be applied to our lives so that we may live victoriously. Let's join Pastor Ashley now as he shares the Word with us. Well, welcome once again. If you haven't heard it already, you've not been paying any attention. Welcome to Palm Sunday. We're glad that you're here today. I, I just today, I, I want to talk a little bit about Palm Sunday. And, 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 you know, I was looking through the notes, and I've got every sermon I've preached since the church started in 2004, and I've never preached a message on Palm Sunday. I, I know. I just sit here and go, why not? Well, there was always something going on, and I, I really had it on my heart to do this, and I was in something, and I, I, I started looking back, and I thought, okay, well, that was for those seasons and times, but today is a day that I just believe that God has led me to talk a little bit about it. And so uh, I, th- I think it's important. I mean, we need to know why um, we're celebrating Palm Sunday. We need to know why that is. Uh, I-, I think that today, if I had a title, which I, I do, for today's message is preparation for Easter, prepare for Easter. What-, what-, what we're celebrating today really sets the tone and the mood for everything we're going to celebrate next Sunday. Uh, and so you need to know today why, why we celebrate Palm Sunday and why we, we talk about Palm Sunday. In every area of life, you prepare for things. And if you don't, then you probably are not as effective in the area that you're getting ready to face if you haven't made preparation. I, I'm just, for example, when you're getting ready for your day, some people do different things. I mean, there are certain people that you don't talk to them until they've had their coffee. There are, there are things that some prepare for the next day. I don't know how many of you moms and dads do this, but you prepare your children for the next day by telling them, now, when we get up, here's what we're going to do. And you already have their clothes laid out. For those children who can't decide on what they're going to wear, you might lay out two or three choices, but you don't say, here's your closet. For a three-year-old, pick whatever you want. That'd be disaster. See, getting ready for your day, there's a preparation that comes. I mean, some exercise. Uh, I'm sorry, I laughed about it. Some do a devotion. Some, some do different things to prepare for your day, and it's important because we all have days that things are going to come up, and we need to be prepared. Well, in the life of a Christian, I'm just telling you, we've got a lot of Christians who are just not prepared. They're not prepared, and we need to get some preparedness, if you will. I mean, we need some things in us so that we're ready for what we're going to face. And this morning, I want to talk about preparing for Easter. Now, you may not have given it much thought. After all, we live pretty busy lives, don't we? Has anybody been busy this week? Everyone had to prepare to be at church this morning. You didn't accidentally show up here. So thank you that prepared that you were prepared to be in church today. I, I just kind of... We'll throw this out. Since you're here anyway, for the next half hour, can we just give a little thought to the coming week? Because here's what can happen on Sundays. You're preparing for what you're getting ready to do after church. And you're preparing in your mind, and you just kind of shut out what God wants to speak into your heart and life. So as today, you're sitting here anyway. I mean, I know you can get up and go to the bathroom or go sit in the foyer. But since you're in here, let's just kind of give... Well, <laughs> how should people prepare for Easter? 
I mean, we prepare for Christmas. Come on now. For a month or two out, I mean, we're doing everything. We're, we're showing signs that something's getting ready to happen. We hang wreaths. We light candles. We put tree up. We wrap gifts. We have lights on our houses, nativity sets. I'm talking about the preparation for Christmas is giant. City towns and squares are all out. But Easter, what do you do? Now, if you're a fanatic... You, you may color or dye a few eggs. And if you're a real fanatic about the true reason, you might go buy some new clothes for Easter Sunday. If you haven't got your new clothes for Easter Sunday and you don't think anybody does, show up next Sunday, I promise you. You'll be going, wow, they're a fanatic. <laughs> they go all out, don't they? Yeah, we painted some Easter eggs, we got some chocolate, and we put a new Easter outfit Bam, we're done. That's all the preparation for Easter we give. But Easter to a Christian is the most important day of the year, or it should be. It's the day that we celebrate the central event of history. The day that Jesus rose from the dead in order to make eternal life possible for you and I. It's the greatest day in, in the Christian's life, and traditionally, People don't prepare for Easter. Now, let me just kind of go out on a little tangent here because I know we got a lot of different denominational backgrounds. There is a season that some denominations do a really good job of preparation for Easter called Lent. And they go through all of these rituals, if you will. Now, some Baptists and Pentecostals and non-denominationals don't give much thought to that. But let me just tell you, there's some real significance in what I think that they do. They repent. They deny themselves particular pleasures or commodities or conveniences. They take on a new task of service during this time. You know, we might want to start that. We, we could use some more people serving in the church. It's Lent. I just, I'm talking about some things that a lot of denominations celebrate, and today I want you to know all of us across the board in Christianity recognize that today is Palm Sunday. So today's Palm Sunday. What in the world does that mean? Many people don't even understand as we're celebrating Palm Sunday, we're celebrating the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem before his death. We celebrate today his entrance into our lives. I, I mean, at that day and time, they didn't really know what was happening. And the reason why we call it Palm Sunday is because they may not have understood it, but as Jesus came to his people, he was coming in for the festival of Passover, and he came in, and they had a bunch of excitement. They laid their garments down in front of him, and they were waving palm branches. John 12, verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. Why do we call it Palm Sunday? Because they took palm branches to go meet Jesus. I did enjoy this week. We were in Lowe's for the 50th time. And so we go to Lowe's, but they have palm trees sitting all out. 
And I just wondered how many people walked right by them and didn't even know the significance of palm trees and that this was Palm Sunday. And I, I just sit there and I, I looked at that and I just kept thinking, okay, well, does people even know that? Well, I don't ever want our people not to know what Palm Sunday is. And so I haven't done a real good job of talking about it, so I'm, I'm playing catch up right now. See, there was, there was a sign, a considered sign of victory, of a king's triumph, the way that they saw Jesus coming into town by waving palm branches, and, and they saw a victory coming for them. They, they were seeing that Rome was really kind of a, pre- Man, there's going to be a victory, and right here's our king laying our garments down before him. We're on your team, Jesus. He's coming. He's going to take care of business. And then they're probably thinking, what in the world is he doing on a donkey? Why, if he's taking care of business, why, why would he be on a donkey? Well, Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. They all knew this. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Okay, this is cool. I know why. He's going to be the king. He's coming to us. He's righteous. He's victorious. And, and he's just doing what Zechariah said he was going to do. I don't need to understand that, but that's what he's doing. And I think the people were out there seeing that, and they were like, this is pretty cool. See, every Jew would know Zechariah's messianic prophecy. Everyone that was God's people would know that. The, the crowds would, would, would just be all about him, and they were that day, and they were hailing Jesus as their king, and Hosanna, Hosanna. He's blessed. We bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. And in the ancient Middle Eastern world, even though they knew this, they didn't understand it. All they had was a prophecy. Can I stop there and just make a little side note? There are things you don't understand, but you still have the word. And they had the word, and they didn't understand it, but they still had the word. They had the Old Testament teaching, and they knew something was happening. And so in their culture, the reason why they were a little confused is because leaders rode horses riding to war. But let me just give you a little side note. Jesus rode in on a donkey. Why? Because it signified something to them. And they started getting a picture that was a little different, even though they didn't understand it. Leaders rode horses if they were going to war, but they rode donkeys in if they were coming for peace. It's a big point. 1 Kings 1 verse 33 mentions Solomon riding a donkey on the day he was recognized as the new king of Israel. See, there was some past history to explain and get people to understand this. So Jesus rode a donkey on Palm Sunday, and his people were excited about him coming but there was some confusion in their mind. Today, I have a very simple message, and it's three things, but it's three things that will make a profound impact in your life if you can get what happened that day and apply it to your life. Three suggestions, if you will. Three suggestions on how to prepare for Easter. Three suggestions on your preparation for Easter and what happened to Jesus on Palm Sunday. 
three ways that you and I can most effectively and meaningfully prepare for Easter. And it has nothing to do with coloring eggs, eating little chocolate bunnies. It, it, it don't have anything to do with that. It has to do with the Bible and what the Bible says that we need to be prepared for. The first one of these three suggestions is found in the example of the disciples. And if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we'll have it on the screen, is Luke 19. And the first point today is just do what Jesus says. Just do what he says. Just do what he says. Luke 19, verse 29. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asked, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went, found the colt, just as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. I love this story because you're like, they're just going and taking someone else's property. Jesus told them to go in and do it. And they're like, why are you doing this? Well, God needs it. And they're like, okay. Here's the other thing I, I, thing I kind of find a little strange about the story, story is Jesus sent two of his disciples. And most of Scripture, when he sends disciples or he talks about disciples doing something, he mentions who they were doing it. It's the only place in Scripture where, or not the only, but one of the only places where he doesn't mention the disciples, but he says there's two of them. And he sends two of them that he doesn't tell who they are on a strange little mission. I'm guessing it wasn't Peter because Peter would have came up with a lot of reasons as to why he was doing it and yeah. tried to tell everybody. But, but I, I, I don't know the other ones. I mean, it, it was someone else. It might have been Matthew, you know, because he was a tax collector and all this stuff. And so he might have walked in and said, the people that had the donkey knew Matthew and said, okay, let me have it. None of this is scriptural. It's just thoughts I have. So the Bible doesn't tell us which two went, and we don't know which two. And the Bible doesn't tell us what they talked about on the way, what they really, it just says, hey, we, we need this. And what are you doing with it? Well, the Lord said, get it. <laughs> I'm guessing they did talk on the way there, though. They probably, do you think that we really ought to untie this colt and take it? Well, Jesus said, the master knows what's going on. Has he ever led us wrong so far? Yeah, but he's not the owner. I mean, you, you think this is a test of some kind? Should we really just walk away with this coat? What if somebody takes a swing at us? Are you punching him or am I? Or what are we doing? I mean, all of these thoughts as they're walking just to get the... And as you read God's word, sometimes we read it like it's a play and they're all scripted. And they know exactly what to say and what to do, but... Let me just tell you, they didn't know. They were just following, not blindly, but by faith in someone who knew what to do. And we don't follow the Word of God blindly. We follow it by faith in the Word. And because it's backed up by the Word. And we do it because Jesus said to do it. And so once again, my point here, the first one is, just do what Jesus says. Just do what He says. Like those disciples did, whichever ones they were, just do what he said. They did. The Bible says, at first his disciples didn't really understand this. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. 
but they did it. That's what the Bible says, they did it. They did it. And look at the result. I mean, we have the benefit of seeing the result of them doing it. The simple obedience that was brought into their lives, into ours, and the glory of the Lord, what was brought to him. Luke 19, verse 36. Let's keep reading. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout. They shouted, they shouted, and they sang as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Rebuke them. Tell them to quit. And he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Somebody, somebody is going to give him praise. And if somebody doesn't, something will. Just do what he says. Just do what he says. It's that he just do what he says. The streets erupted with sounds of praise, singing, shouting, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. I mean, the people were shouting his praises, spreading his glory. Not only to everybody else watching, but to him. And some of the Pharisees tell him to be quiet. You know, this is a good model for us this week, this week before Easter. Does everybody know that you're one of those followers shouting, Hosanna? Well, nobody says Hosanna. Jesus, Savior, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, I, you can't be around Keith Henson that when you leave his presence, he doesn't say, bless you, encourage you. You can't be around the end, bless the Lord. I mean, you just, there's certain people that they just can't keep their mouth shut about Jesus. That ought to be all of us. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Just start trying to say that a little bit. That's what these people did. Do what he said. Praise him, praise him, praise him. All praise, all glory. Boy, you did a great job. Praise God. Now, I'm all right with thank you, but I'm really about the praise. Praise you, God. Not me, but praise him. See, take it off yourself and put it on him. I just think it's important. I hope you have a blessed day. Have you ever heard that from anyone? If you don't start, something will. Why not it be us? I don't need a rock taking my place. They didn't have any idea what the future was going to hold or what actions were going to be brought out. They just simply obeyed. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure this week if you just start obeying and doing what he says, it probably won't involve a donkey. It, it probably won't, but... You and God ought to be in enough communication that you know what it does involve. Why are you praising, or even more importantly, why are you not? Because you have all the reason in the world to. He's calling you 
to repentance. He's calling you to faith in him. He's trying to get you to see a decision to follow him is the most important decision you'll ever make. He's calling you to forgive. He's calling you to all of these things, to help someone, to give something up, to take something on, to say yes to something, to say no to something, to stay hooked up, to get committed to church. If you're here today and you haven't been committed, no big deal. Just from this point forward, he's calling you, get committed. Hook up, stay in. Whatever he says to you to do, do it. And it did a great and mighty thing Sunday 2,000 years ago. You'll be amazed how your simple act of obedience will bring glory to God, and it could be written down for generations to come. Those people standing on the road, who knew years later? What if they hadn't showed up? We wouldn't have a story to talk about today because it would have been buried. But somebody came out and did what he said to do. They honored him. They honored him. My second point today, feel what Jesus feels. Feel what Jesus feels. Really, really an important point here today. We do what he says, and then we feel what he feels. Luke 19, continuing on in verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Verse 42 is in red letters. It says, How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They'll crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Something happened on the ride into Jerusalem. And really, to be honest, we don't talk about this part of the story much. We're all about the Hosanna, Hosanna. And we hear about that, but we don't hear about the Jesus weeping part. And he wept. Something happened that day. And and I ought to tell you, for years, I didn't really even notice that this was a big part of the event. And I hate to admit this, but Michelle and I were in... Uh, Jerusalem several years ago. That's not the part I hate to admit, but we were on this road that they say Jesus walked. And they were talking about that, and it was signified because there was a church building there that was built based on the significance that Jesus wept. See, I'm not the only one who thought like this, though. We We get caught up on the crowd, the shouts, the emotion, the excitement, but this is a big part of this story. From every indication, I'm not the only one who missed it. And I I didn't really see this. I mean, I had read that Jesus wept, but I didn't see it. We're in Jerusalem. We're talking all about it. And I'm like, where have I missed this? This was a big part of the story. And I don't want you to let it pass you by today. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And so when Michelle and I were there on the same road, The Mount of Olives was the the mountainside that we're on. Jesus was going up this hill. Going down the hill, actually, but he was going down the hill from the Mount of Olives where he'd been. He's headed down the hill. And I want you to see the view that he saw as he was heading down the hill. I I got a picture I want to put up here. This top right picture is the view from the Mount of Olives. 
I don't look at that very often that I don't get emotional. This bottom left one is an artist depiction from the 1800s of what it looked like. And the teardrop church that we saw on that road is in the top left corner and from the distance from the city of Jerusalem looking across to the Mount of Olives. This bottom right picture is the teardrop chapel. Uh, I'm not trying to teach a Bible class and bore anybody this morning, but this is a real deal. The city of Jerusalem was magnificent. And I believe that as Jesus was going down that hill and people were praising him, and that he knew that they were not really praising him for all the right reasons. They didn't understand it completely. But they were still praising him. And they were doing what the Bible had given them an account to do. I believe right there on that road, Jesus stopped and he just started weeping. And they say right about the area where he stopped was where they built this church. Everywhere something significant in the Bible happened, there's a church there now. And this church that you see, the teardrop church, is where Jesus wept. Now, I, I just want you to leave those up there and you can continue to look at them. The Greek word that's translated wept in our Bibles signifies more than just tears. It suggests that it's the kind of soul-wracking, gut-wrenching, teeth-gritting, sobbing that a person would do at the death of a loved one. In fact, it's the same words translated in Scripture that was used when Mary cried at the tomb of her brother Lazarus. It's the same word that Mary Magdalene sobs with at Jesus' tomb. And it's the exact same word that Peter's, his bitter weeping after he denied Jesus and heard the cock crow. He had denied Jesus and then that rooster crowed and he's, what have I done? And I mean gut-wrenching. Fell to the ground. I can't catch my breath. I, I don't know if you've ever been there, but my guess is if you haven't, you've seen someone there. And so they built this. And I, the part of this story is very important because you've got to understand this second point, feel what Jesus felt. We have a lack of that in our world. He had a compassion and a heart for Jerusalem, God's people, their inhabitant, where they lived. And it, it just, it, it, it brought him to a place that was tough. Can, can you see this? He wept violently over the people of Jerusalem. And I just happened to think that that concern that he had then over those people is the same concern or the same thoughts he has over the loved ones you're praying for. And I pray that your heart would have that same feeling towards those that don't know him. We can be real quick to condemn them, but sometimes I think we lose the understanding of we need to feel what Jesus felt. It needs to hurt that they're where they're at. 
There are people in my own family that sometimes their actions will cause me not to have much compassion or concern, but I'm telling you, there's got to become a place in our heart and life where we have a concern for those that are getting ready to face condemnation because of their actions, not Jesus's. He came to save them. He came to encourage them. See, he came not for himself, but for everyone else. Not, he, didn't, he didn't tell everybody, hey, the cross is waiting on me, and they're waving palm branches. He didn't tell them that, that hey, I'm coming into the city to save all of you. He, he didn't tell them all of that. He was coming for the festival. That's what he was coming for. And they were still going, hey, we're ready to be released from this bondage. And they didn't know that the bondage they were going to be released from was different than the way they saw it. The screams, the cries, the shrieks, the groans of the men, he could see all that on the front end. And he could see that it was not going to be good for them. You know, Jesus can see in your own life when it's not going to be good for you. He has a heart for his people. If you don't believe anything I'm saying, listen to the last three sermons that I have taught on the faithfulness of God. He loves us. Everyone's having a party because he's entering and Jesus is crying. Palms, garments laid out, and here goes Jesus in tears. Are you getting the picture? I think that's the way the world is. They're looking at some of the lives of Christians, and they don't see us as caring. They see us as it's got to be our way or no way. And there's got to be a care for those that don't see it the way that God sees us. It's a good model for you and I this week. We could, we could do no better than as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday Letting ourselves feel what Jesus felt. Letting your heart be broken for those who are hurting. Those who are wondering. Those who are searching. Those who don't even know they're searching. They're looking for something. They don't even know what it is. They keep trying to scratch their itch with something from the world that only Jesus will take care of. Now, as you look at this picture, i got to tell you, and I've, I've shared this because this is one of the highlights of my whole life. I was with this Cajun guy when we were walking down this road. His name's Randy Imhoff, and I'm going to tell him I mentioned his name in my sermon. And he has got that French Louisiana draw, you, you know, and, and I, 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 as we're walking down this road and everybody's celebrating, he's skipping. And I mean, he's going, Hosanna, baby, Hosanna. And he's getting, I mean, there was such an excitement. And then one second we'd look up and there's Jerusalem and the excitement over Jerusalem, the excitement. When I know a lot of you haven't been there. And I'm trying to just show you a picture and it doesn't even make sense. But I'm I'm telling you, Hosanna, Hosanna. As you look across into the city, you're going to see right in front of that big golden bell that, that you see in the middle there, there's some gates over on the right side of that big wall. It's the eastern gates where Jesus is coming back. They poured so much concrete in there and said, he ain't going to get in here. I'm just telling you, there ain't a piece of concrete that can hold the coming back of Jesus. Those things will explode and go everywhere. Oh, I'm getting too excited. 
I just remember it like it was yesterday. The excitement walking down that street is like I was there 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is coming, and he's coming, and he's going to get his people. Well, it's going to be. See, the excitement was there. When are we going to get excited? Next Sunday's Easter. Is there any excitement? I sure hope so. Feel what Jesus felt. It'll bring compassion into your heart, and it will bring us his people an excitement. It reminds me of a couple of verses in Scripture. As Jesus was there weeping, 1 Timothy 2.4, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth? It's so important. Jesus wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone. He wishes no one be lost. He's sitting here looking at Jerusalem. Man, I wish, I wish, I wish. Well, I believe that he wants that for us. Well, I am saved. Praise God. Who's not? Feel what Jesus feels. Want them saved like Jesus does. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's the heart of God. He's coming back to get us. And my question with this point is, do you feel what Jesus felt? One way to prepare this Easter is to do what he says. The second is to feel what he feels. And the third one, my final suggestion, is tell who Jesus is. Matthew 21, verse 10, the entire city of Jerusalem Jerusalem, was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I... I I, I just, I love it when I'm in a store or I'm in a place and I know there's a bunch of Christians around me. And then we just start bragging on the Lord and what he's doing in the lives of his people. I love, I love to be in a group of people. I have over the last couple of months been in restaurants with a group of people and they see everybody praying. They see everybody bragging on the name of Jesus I mean, it's just, it's an exciting time. It's a time that I go, this is awesome. I love being in crowds of Jesus followers because it gives the rest of the world an opportunity to go, huh, what are they so excited about? Look at the conclusion of the Palm Sunday story. Matthew reports that the city was stirred. He uses the word, it's a Greek word, I won't say it exactly, seio, it's S-E-I-O. And he uses this Greek word, which we get from our word seismic. So when you hear stirred and everything was swept through the city, I mean, these words as you hear all of this, it's the same word that he used in Matthew 27, 51 when he said, the moment Jesus died on the cross, the earth shook and rocks split seismic. That's what was going on. Boy, I can't believe I haven't preached on Palm Sunday. Because the seismic thing that took place as Jesus entered that city, as Jesus entered, I mean, there was a shaking. They didn't have cell phones. They couldn't go, hey, did you see Jesus? Who? What's going? No, they all started running out of their house and saying, hey, 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 whoa, whoa. Hey, what was that? What, what, what? I got to know what that was. That was, what is happening? I just left the screen, didn't I? I'll come back. Hold on. 
I didn't even think that through. I got so excited. What's going on? Did you hear that? What, there's a sh- See, they didn't get on their cell phones. They ran out of their house. What's happening? And the word just spread. It just spread and it went all around. Here, I'll get back on. You can turn her back on. I'm, I'm back. What's happening? What just went on? What? I got to know. As you prepare for Easter, what are you going to be doing this week? Are your, is your life going to be seismic? Is it going to create such a stir that nobody can know? I can't not be there next Sunday. I can't be, not, I got to be in church Wednesday night. Why? Because it's seismic. Everybody's talking about it. Here's the problem. Christians aren't talking about the goodness of God. They're not talking about how awesome he is, what's going on in our lives. But they were then. It was just spreading like wildfire. It was, it was a big deal. They were telling, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Have you not heard of him? It's Jesus. And that's what they're waiting for. Here's the thing. As they're waiting to see him because it's spreading. I mean, the people, the people waving the palm branches, the people that are laying the garments out before him, that seismic wave went through the city. And as that seismic wave went through the city, everybody's asking, so now they're waiting. The world, the rest of Jerusalem is waiting. God's city is on high alert. They're waiting to see if there really is a God. They're waiting to see what they've heard about him. Does he really care? They're waiting to see if the people who would fill the churches and sing his praises and cry out to him and claim to know him, if it's really working in their life. They're waiting to see. They're they're watching. Let me just tell you, it's no different today. They're watching you and I. Are you doing what Jesus says to do? Are you feeling what Jesus feels? And are they hearing you telling about him and spreading his fame? Because, see, they're asking, what's going on in your life? What's this all about? I used to love this. I used to love when people would see something that would be viewed as negative going on in my life because of an event, a fire, a car wreck, or something. I hate those events. But I love when people would look at it and say, how can you in every one of those come out smelling like a rose? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out not smelling like fire. I don't know, but when you got Jesus walking with you, you get to the other side of this and you look different, you act different, you operate different. I'm not saying that that fire experience is not horrible. We don't talk a lot about old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but when they were in that fire, we read about what happened when they came out. But I'm I'm guessing that that burn was pretty intense. It was hot. I mean, well, they didn't get burned. I know they didn't, but they were still in it. All I know is that God's people, hold on. Hold on. Jesus is the real deal, and you need to let people see that he's the real regardless of what turmoil you're in. Come on, you're not a victim, you're a victor. We sing singing in the victory. If, if you are looking at yourself as I'm just a victim, I'm just what, what has happened in my life, oh, I need some palms. You got the wrong use for them. Turn them things around and get them on Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The good news, 
proclaiming the gospel is important. Doing what Jesus says, feeling what Jesus feels, and then they'll hear you telling who he is. But if they don't see you doing what he says, if they don't see you as feeling what he feels, then they won't hear you telling who he is. They won't hear any of that. The good news that we're going to proclaim next Sunday through song and word is the age-old confession of the church. He is risen, and he is risen indeed. This week, who are you going to, who are you going to tell? Well, first off, make sure you're doing what he said. Make sure you're feeling what he felt. And then this week, how about telling somebody about him? Just telling somebody about him. Invite him to church. Invite him to Wednesday night. Do you know that there's a lot of surveys that you can look up, and they indicate that the majority of people who don't attend church or experience new life in Christ give the same reason when they're asked why they don't? Here's what they say. No one ever asked. That's sad to me. No one ever asked. Your mission, if you would prepare for Easter in a way that will bring a smile to God's face and then true and lasting joy into the lives of others, I want to ask you, are you preparing for Easter? Go get your dyed eggs. You can hide them next week. Put in your little prize egg, a $100 bill. That will make people a little more excited about it. Whatever the case I pray that that's not the only preparation you're making for Easter. My prayer is this week, we're doing what he said. Did you get that? It's simple. Three, you're doing what he, doing what he says to do. You're feeling what he felt, and you're telling others about Jesus. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.